U.S. airstrikes in Iraq that began a month ago saved thousands of refugees trapped by ISIS on Mount Sinjar and stopped the ISIS advance on the Kurdish capital of Erbil. Kurdistan is a semi-independent region in northern Iraq. It has its own military called the Peshmerga, and today we found them eye to eye with ISIS. The ISIS advance stopped just short of Lieutenant Mohammed's bridge. That's the ISIS flag on one end and Mohammed's men on the other. Why is this bridge so important? This is the road to Kirkuk, he told us. Kirkuk is the gateway to Iraq's oil fields. Do you have orders to destroy this bridge if it comes to that? No, Mohammed said, the people will need the bridge. No one's going to take my bridge. He couldn't have said that a month ago when these troops were forced back toward the capital, Erbil. But now, the American air campaign means that ISIS can't mass its forces or move with any speed. Thanks to the U.S. airstrikes, the Peshmerga are now on the offensive. And eventually, the Peshmerga will be moving toward Mosul, which is an occupied city of more than a million and a half people. These are the pictures coming out of Mosul these days. It is chaos, according to a doctor we found, who is moving in and out of the city. We won't identify him for his safety. Mosul is like a big prison with limited water and gas, he told us. Electricity only shows up once every two days. The people have no work. There's a massive shortage of medicine. What are some of the rules in Mosul today that people have to live under because of ISIS? They control life, clothing, everything in a very harsh way, very strict, and very strict punishments. ISIS is posting those punishments online, boasting of mass executions of people who refuse to convert to its extremist view of Islam. Saeed told us that last month, ISIS rounded up more than 100 men in his village and told them they were being taken to a refugee camp. It turned out to be a short trip to a mass grave. They told us to lie flat on the ground, he said, and then they started firing all kinds of guns. His leg was hit three times. A bullet grazed his neck. When those bullets began to hit you, you must have thought you were dead. When I was hit, I didn't want to make a sound because anyone who made a noise, they'd come over and shoot them in the head. When it was all over, Saeed crawled out of the grave. Back at the bridge, Lieutenant Mohammed's men can't advance because they're lightly armed. Tonight, the Kurds are asking the White House for tanks and artillery to break lines like this. It could be a long commitment. War is like a bridge. Once you're on it, you can't get off until you see it through. Tonight, four and a half million people live under ISIS control. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry paid an unannounced visit to Baghdad today. He met with the new unity government there. Kerry announced that the United States will help fund a your host, 
John Hendricks. I have a very special guest on with me for this week's podcast. His name is Alex Pinici, and uh, he is a veteran of the Italian military, and he also served uh, in Iraq uh, as a part of the Kurdish uh, Special Forces during the war against ISIS. Uh, Alex, it's great to have you here. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to me to be here. I do apologize with uh, with everyone listening this podcast, but my English is not that that perfect, uh, so I apologize. No, it's it's fine, brother. Okay, so let's um let's start with where you're from and uh, and sort of if you can tell us a little bit about your life growing up. Yeah, well, uh, basically, I I born in Italy. Uh, from uh, the coast, okay. I'm from uh, the north, the north part of Italy, from uh, Liguria. I don't know. Maybe some of you will know the Cinque Terre is a really touristic, touristic place. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. I just I joined in the army in the mountain troops when I was like uh, 19 years old, and uh, that's I I have really great mem- memories of uh, my time in uh, the army and you know after a few years there i decided just to take another way and uh, i start to work as a security contractor uh, i in the middle east i, I did some uh, counter piracy uh, it was 2012 and you know one day or maybe one night i don't remember i i understand that that place was not the right place for me that the um, I, I remember it was one night uh, I was uh, in the Somali coast um, performing uh, anti-piracy duty, and that night I realized that that place was not for me. I mean, I I understanding that uh, I need to choose again another path for find myself for find a real purpose in my life, and in that time it was uh, to. 2014, and uh, the stuff with ISIS was just in the beginnings. So I started to study about uh, the war of ISIS. I started to study about uh, what happening around the world, and I started to become shocked about uh, that this terrorist organization, okay, raise and raise without uh, that actually nobody did enough in that time so that why i decide in the beginning so i say myself alex listen this is not the right place you need to be some something to be there and do your part in that war right that was the beginning of everything and uh, what year was it that you started to decide that you should go and, and fight isis uh, in that time, I, um, I again I I start to to study about ISIS. I see a lot of terrorist at- attack in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel attacked inside my home. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys can understand what is the feeling to receive a terrorist attack in your home, right? And honestly, that make me hungry. Okay, and uh, that motivate me to to leave everything, 
to live my normal life and uh, join the fight. And in that time, I I started to study about even the Kurdish resistance. I started to study about uh, uh, Syria, about Iraq, about uh, who was the main actor in that time that was in the first line against ISIS. And I find I found out that uh, the Kurdish fighter was uh, they was uh, in the first line, and uh, that's why I um, just buy a plane ticket, uh, pack my backpack, and uh, go there. Okay. Okay. Um, so let let's rewind just quickly a little bit. So you're from the the northwest part of Italy. No, the yeah northwest. Yes. Okay, so I've actually been to Italy a couple of times. Um, I haven't been up to that area, um, like Cinque Terre. Like I've I've seen pictures, obviously, but um, uh, like I've I've been to Rome. I've been to um, yeah. Next time you come, and I will bring you to Cinque Terre. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Italy is one of my favorite countries uh, in the world. Um, uh, every time I visit, I have such a great time there. Uh, you know, like the food and the coffee is amazing and, and all that kind of thing. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So, uh, the, the Kurds were fighting against ISIS, uh, very early on, um, as the, the, the region that the Kurds in Iraq are in is, is very close to Syria. Um, yeah. So, so immediately they were they were fighting them and 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 everything like that. Yeah. So in uh, that time, the rise of ISIS actually was really, really, really quickly. Okay. And uh, they, I, I mean, their their mission was to unify the, the Iraq and Syria and actually to delete the border. So that's why. The northern part of Iraq, as we know as Kurdistan, and uh, the south part of uh, uh, of Syria, it's called like uh, Rojava. And uh, this land actually was really uh, taken really quickly f- from uh, from ISIS, and uh, the Kurds actually was really the only one to fight in that time. So that's why I decided to to join with them. And uh, I remember it's not that easy. I, it was not easy just to take a flight, go there without, uh, uh, you know, it was not something easy. I It took me maybe six months to be in the right place, right? And in the beginning, I remember I, I heard about some Westerners most of them, they were fight in uh, Rojava, and I've been even there. Uh, but you know, the um, the story bring me not in Rojava, but in uh, Kirkuk. Uh, at that time, was uh, one of the most uh, let's say dangerous cities because there is a lot of presence of ISIS in that time, and I had the opportunity to serve uh, in the beginning as uh, just let's say logistic support because in the beginning they they not trust me. And after I had the time to show uh, part of my skills and uh, to be in the right place 
to do the right thing to the right time. You know what I mean? I mean, in the end of the day, the Kurds, they, they didn't need people that go there for pull a trigger. And I remember there is a lot of uh, uh, problems with the Westerners, a lot of volunteers create a lot of problems. Uh, so that's why I always try to be away from uh, all those group of volunteers. You know, I met some really good guy and uh, today we're still in contact, today we're still friends, but the majority of the volunteers, honestly, uh, I understand that they didn't have a clear uh, purpose to be there. I mean, 90% of them, they were there because uh, they think uh, maybe they can pull the trigger, the trigger easily, okay? And most of them, they didn't bring nothing more to, to, to the course, to the Peshmerga, right? In my case, I tried to give something different. In the beginning, my purpose was not fight. In the beginning, I was there actually just for do some kind of training, like uh, shooting training, farms training, and uh, to share some of my, let's say, military experience. I mean, I'm not a former special force, honestly. And I, let's say, I just give to them the, the let's say, the NATO infrastructure. I try to organize them in the beginning uh, with just a normal, simple NATO infrastructure. And in that time, in that place, uh, this is, was the key of success. Because in that time, we have like good fighters, good equipment, because I remember all the coalition give to the Kurds a lot of uh, equipment, but in that time they didn't have the infrastructure. So my first duty in the beginning was just train them. And after, when I start to reach the um, trust from the commanders, from uh, the, um, the soldier, I start to build the infrastructure. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, communication, security, training, uh, all uh, the, let's say, the, um, the logistic support. So that was my main duty over there. Okay. And uh, in few months, I see that in the end, that was the most useful part of my duty they need, right? And was automatically that I did, um, I, I build my own group. Uh, you know, I choose some of good guys. I, we equip them, we train them, we manage them, okay? And in the end, we bring them to fight. So honestly, I have uh, some kind of uh, untypical volunteer uh, background over there, but I spent there five years of my life and uh, we participated, we joined to many fights. We, we participate to, I think, all the offensive, Kirkuk offensive, Mosul offensive. Uh, we, we do also a lot of, um, let's say, counter-terrorism operation inside the city of Kirkuk. Uh, I think we did our part and uh, the most skills that I performed over there was not shooting or do some tactical stuff, but was the ability to manage, to build, and uh, again, to build something. That I think is the most, uh, 
critical skills in the war zone because you know you can find many people ready to pull the trigger you can find many good guys ready to be a, a super operator uh, you know but it's hard to find someone that can manage and build and the big challenge was maintain this kind of structure in that kind of place with that kind of political situation so that's uh, I think is uh, the key for me to be there for five years. And for me, it was a lifetime. Uh, you know, at some point, my life was there, not here, you know. So when you, um, when you began training uh, different people over there and, and sort of organizing, uh, were you initially training the Kurds or were you training foreigners or were you training both? No, no. In the beginning, look, I tell you the story, uh, long story short. I just arrived to the airport in Suleimani, right? And I spent two weeks to go around uh, randomly to any military and uh, police uh, base in Kurdistan to offer my service. And I say, listen, I'm here. I'm a volunteer. I was in the military, I, I'm a shooting instructor, I want to serve, I want to help you. And you know how many times they say, no, we don't trust you, no, go away, okay? I spent at least one month and a half and a lot of lucky to find a spot to enter inside and to get that trust. And to get the trust of the Kurds, it took me another year to do just the basic job, just just training the Kurds, just zero their weapon, just cleaning the weapon, just no combat stuff, right? That is the reality about. After slowly, 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 they give me better unit to train till I reach the special force. Or let's say that in that time they didn't have a Westerner standard special force, but for Kurdistan, they was their special force, right? And um, and when I reached that standard, I say, okay, now I need to prove what I'm training. So that's why um, they give me the opportunity even to fight with them and to serve on the field with them. And uh, because, you know, I train someone, for example, to small unit tactics, right? They go to the field and it's better to have someone than train you to manage you on the field. You agree with that? So when uh, I was in the field and I apply the same techniques that I teach them on the range, for example, everything was more uh, you know, fast, everything was more accurate. So when we come back, uh, all these guys say to the commander, listen, he's a teacher, but also we need to him to manage us in combat because it makes sense, right? So that's why I, I accept, I accept. And uh, in the same times, I even try to improve the infrastructure, the logistic, the training, the equipment, even all the procedure. We, I remember we wrote all the procedure and for them was something they, in that time, they 
they didn't use to write the standard operating procedure. Even the concept to use a standard operating procedure was something strange for them, you know. And uh, so that's how I spent uh, five years of my life there. Okay, so basically um, it was very unorganized in, in the initial time of you being there. Uh, and you having come from a professional military, uh, you were able to train and, and organize and, and structure uh, some of how things were going. But, uh, you know, I, I do find it interesting, like listening to what you're saying about um, volunteers showing up there, uh, probably mostly Western volunteers and people being completely inexperienced in uh, any military. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No. 99%. Listen, I, first of all, I don't want to be misunderstood, right? You know, I be there from 2014 till 2019, all the five years of war, from the beginning till the end. Uh, and I don't uh, want, like, say something bad to Westerners and blah, 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 because, uh, I mean, everyone put himself in the condition to serve. Mm -hmm. It deserves my respect, right? But uh, I think if someone, if someone uh, go there with some kind of different purpose, I think it's better to stay home. Because, for example, uh, many guys, they, they didn't care about... Uh, uh, I mean, they come, they they didn't know anything about Kurdistan, about the culture, mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, they don't care, they don't respect nobody and nothing. They just came for shoot someone, you know? And uh, for me, for everyone uh, hold a weapons in the hand and uh, have a uniform, doesn't matter. Uh, US uniform, military uniform, police uniform, EMS, firefighter need to have uh, some kind of ethical, let's say, and morality, you know. If you don't have this morality, if you don't have this ethical side, for me, you cannot serve. Not in, in, in USA, not in French, not in uh, Italy, not in Kurdistan. But especially if you claim to, uh, I want to serve the war against ISIS, then okay, if tomorrow we need you to clean weapon, you go to clean weapon, right? Because this is, is another way to serve. Uh, you know, I spent one year to do logistic job before to get the chance to be listened for five minutes for someone and give me the, the, the opportunity. You know, most of those volunteers, they come there, Maybe they take holiday from work. They come there with a the purpose to do, I don't know, a couple of pictures, shoot a couple of bullets against I don't know who, and claim they, they serve in Iraq, uh, you know. Right. That is not, for me, the right uh, morality to approach that. Uh, you know, I've been criticized a lot, okay, because, uh, you know, um, especially in Italy, there is not this mentality to... If you were in the army and go in another country to fight, that is not something in line 
with uh, the politically correct, okay? But if I watch myself, I, I was in the position to choose to serve the global war on terror. And I make, I, I didn't follow a path. I make my own path to arrive to that point that I was in the position to fight against ISIS alongside the, the only one in that time that was in the first line to fight ISIS. And you know, if tomorrow we'll find a time machine and I will be back in the beginning, I will do the same exact, exactly thing. Yes, sometimes it was really dangerous. Actually got uh, even shot in the legs. A lot of time was really, uh, you know, was crazy sometimes. But in the end of the day, I'm I'm proud of my choice, and I pay the ch what I choose in the past every single day, in any way. So, I suggest to, you know, especially now we have a war with Ukrainian, uh, I mean, war with the Russian and Ukrainian. There is a lot of uh, even guys contact me. Hey, Alex, listen, what do you think? I want to go to fight. Yes, okay, it's fine. I respect that you want to serve uh, the right side. But before, ask yourself what you can do for this cause. Because if you go there and you have no experience and you don't have like uh, the right line to follow, you will not be helped you will be a problem to manage for someone else. That's my point of view. I mean, my first concern was to don't be a problem for someone else. That was my my first point. No, that's a great point. Um, and it's interesting to, to compare it to the current situation in Ukraine um, because, as I understand it, when the war first happened, a bunch of Westerners from different countries like America, uh, Europe, or uh, yeah, yeah. Central South want, America, yeah. Yeah, they just want to shoot someone. Mm. But if you ask them the story of Ukraine, the story of Russia, or maybe why they are fighting, maybe not all of them, because I have great friends, great brothers, okay? And actually, recently, I lose one of my biggest friends in a... a, a I had in Iraq, he was a Western, he was a doctor, uh, he was a medic, sorry. But, you know, some of them, they, they, they have no idea why they are fighting and for what. They just won't fight. And for me, this is, is not in line with my morality and ethics, you know. So it's interesting because... Uh... You know, I've seen documentaries about it, like from the earliest days of the war in Ukraine. And there were all kind of people just sort of showing up there. Um, and you mentioned before, it's it's commendable to an, an extent that people are willing to go into a war zone and risk their lives. But then the question becomes, like, why do you know, do you really understand what you're doing? And um, are you going to be a liability or are you going to be an asset? Uh, to you, yeah. the Ukrainians that you're trying to help. And uh, one thing I realized is initially there was some, there wasn't much organization in terms of uh, them pulling in Westerners or, or foreigners uh, to, to fight. 
But now if you go to the, the Foreign Legion's website uh, for Ukraine, they, are, they aren't accepting people who don't have some kind of military or medical experience. So it, it's interesting that they've been able to organize to the level that they can determine, all right, we're not going to accept certain kinds of people. Um, so I, I think that's important uh, on, on the Ukrainian end. Yeah, de- uh, definitely. You know, in uh, in that time, since back 2013-14, when the war against ISIS started, uh, you know, this volunteering, it was not so much, uh, you know, uh, I remember in the beginning, we, in all Kurdistan, we was like, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 Westerners, no more. And on these 30 Westerners, the majority was in uh, Rojava, in the Syrian part, okay? And I understand uh, in the beginning, the Kurds, they used them, but used in the right way, don't don't get me wrong, just for, uh, let's say, propaganda support. You know, because if you, if, if you have, in that time, nobody speak about Kurds, okay? If in that time, you have one guy from Bra- uh, Brazil, Maybe Brazil television come. If you have one guy from Ita- Italy, Italian television come. If you have one guy from US, maybe US television come. And that's the way to spread the message, to show to the world what's really going on. But honestly, in all my time there, the Westerners that really uh, cover a sensitive position, not more than five, six in all the war, in all these five years of war. I see. So, okay. And uh, so the, the majority of the um, the guys doing the serious work were Kurds or, or Iraqis even. Look, the Iraqis, no. Because uh, the Iraqi army in that time, they, they, they didn't uh, uh, accept any volunteers with them. As I know, as I remember, right? We oh, we cooperated many times with the Iraqi army, especially in uh, in Mosul. But in that time, Iraqi army, they there was a proper army. Uh, you know, uh, the situation in Kurdistan was a little bit different. It, we're talking about uh, a people mobilization unit or uh, you know some private unit. Uh, I mean, my unit actually, the Task Force Black. The the unit we create actually, it was a police unit, and uh, let's say officially I was there to train. So I was a Westerners trainer working for their own training, right? But uh, I decided to join volunteer to the fight. So I was there. Uh, I was cover a. Uh, let's say, consultant position, sorry, but uh, when there is uh, some kind of operation, I volunteer join to the fight, you know, because for me was the right choice. So think about, you are in the base, the same guy, you eat, you sleep with them, you laugh with them, you cry with them, uh, you stay with them, you train them, and they train you because I learned a lot in my time over there, they go out to fight and you don't go with them? Come on. How I can, uh, let's say, accept this? 
And um, so that's the point. But my first purpose there was not fight. I mean, I, I, I didn't introduce myself. Hello, good morning. I'm here for fight. No, I went there. I say, listen, I want to help. I want to support you. Uh, I'm a military. I have this kind of background, right? Uh, I can teach you this, this, this and that, right? After when I learn more about the Kurds, when I learn more about uh, their fight, it's become my fight. And in that time, I, I start to voluntarily join in the fight till become an asset of the unit, till I can create a, a unit. Sorry, my phone keep ringing me. Uh, till we design the logo, I choose the name, uh, I organize all the forces. So that's why I say it's my unit. And I cannot leave my unit on the field, you know. Yeah, so, okay, so there were um, obviously some major battles um, in the fight against ISIS. They, in the beginning, they, they very quickly pushed through Iraq and, and almost took Baghdad. Uh, the, the Iraqi special forces played a, a major role in, in holding them back. Um, and then, uh, obviously, there was a huge battle for, for Mosul, uh, which is Mosul is, is uh, west of Kurdistan. Um, and, uh, yeah. and that was a pretty big engagement. W were you there for the whole fight for Mosul? Look, I actually, we, we as a Kurds, we opened the first night of uh, the Muslim offensive. It was uh, 16 October 2016, right? It was a date, actually, I can't forget because even it's my birthday, right? And uh, we actually opened the west side of the Muslim offensive and we stopped, uh, uh, I remember, around Karakosh and after the Iraqi army entering inside Mosul, right? Uh, so let's say that we participated the first part of the offensive, but when uh, we started um, to reach the urban area, the Kurdish stop, and then they enter the Iraqi army. When they enter the Iraqi army, in that time, we were deployed uh, in the um, security of some uh, hospital or field hospital. Anything that was one of, of my toughest experience in my life. Because, uh, I mean, I'm not a medic. Right. I mean, I'm not a medic. I yes, I know how to place a tourniquet. I know like T triple C, like all, all the operator in the world. And uh, find your find yourself to provide security during that offensive in the Muslim offensive. It was something really. I mean, for my side, it was something cr crazy, because. Uh, I mean, you are surrounded by someone that want to enter in that field hospital, and you need to deal with the with the with the casualty. And in the same times, you need to provide security for the medics, for for the injured, 
and uh, you know mm, that was really tough experience honestly because uh, it was not just fight but was fight and deal with all the consequences of the fight psychological side really tough really tough uh so uh in the fight for Mozo, one of the things that made it such a, a nasty fight was there were a ton of IEDs, like ISIS rigged houses and cars and, and all these things to explode. Uh, were you seeing some of that? Like, were guys getting wounded from uh, IEDs? We, 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 see, we see everything. We see car with bomb. We see a tunnel with bomb. We see babies with bombs, we see civilian with bombs, we see trucks with bombs, drone with bombs. I mean, everything was trapped. Everything was fucking trapped. And you know, in that time, the the major target was the field hospital. And they uh, find out any kind of nasty system to enter inside that hospital. As I told you, they put ID inside the ambulance. What the fuck? It's something, uh, I'm not talking about the Geneva Convention because uh, yes, it's a war o- on terror, but they didn't have mercy for civilian, for women, for children. I remember uh, they shoot children in the face. They shoot a pregnant woman in the belly. They, they kill with no mercy for nobody. And more they kill, and more we see that, and more we were motivated to stay in the place and doing and keep doing our job. And more, you know, more I think about that, more I believe that I did right. And I did right to be there. I did right to choose to leave everything and to be there. Because there, I give purpose of my life. And I don't say, listen, I, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't say that uh, who don't go to fight terrorism have no purpose in the life. I, I don't say that because uh, uh, sometimes uh, needs more courage to wake up in the morning and try to find out how to deal with the bills than go to the war, you know. But uh, for me, as a, in that time, young soldier, uh, I, I think I accomplished that uh, idea that I had when I was young, to serve the innocent, to protect the innocent, and uh, that's my point. Yeah, so one of the things that uh, I guess you can say is interesting is uh, the war in Syria and then the the spillover and the war into Iraq um, was really the, the first war that was uh, filmed constantly uh, from cell phones to drones yeah. um, and some of the tactics that were sort of created in that fight um, like where they would attach some kind of explosives grenades or something onto drones uh, it's now becoming the way of war uh, we're seeing a ton of that in Ukraine as well um, the beginning uh the, I have uh, some, uh, sometimes, uh, even a few days ago, I was discussing about that. Look, in the beginning, in the beginning of the war, like 2013, 14, I remember 
they use a RC model. I mean, uh, let's say fake airplane, you know, a, a toy airplane RC model. I don't know how I can say in English with a really shitty camera on with SD cards for reconnaissance, right? So there is no drone in the beginning. In the beginning, they build, they build by themselves the RC model, like an airplane. After, you know, some of that model uh, start to become explosive. So they put some small explosive in, uh, in those RC model. And after, in the next step was, uh, I remember the Phantom 4. I remember even the model, the drone. Yeah, I remember, yeah. The Phantom from, uh, and they used to, to crash maybe close to the troops and after uh, there is explosion. I mean, and I remember one day we was actually, I remember we was in uh, Bakufa, Bakufa was was really close. It was it was the last fob before Tumuzul. It was the last spot before Tumuzul offensive. We see them with our own eyes. You know, we see the flag from our position, and uh, for sure it was normally every morning, every night, uh, get some mortar, and uh, and we find out that they use drone as a forward observation. So they direct, we ask, listen, there is nobody around. We are totally in cover behind the berms. How they can be so accurate shooting with the mortar? You know, because uh, they use in that time drone as a forward observation for the artillery, I mean, for the uh, mortar. So I think uh, that was the beginning of the game changing in the War of Terror. Also, because they stole a lot of equipment from uh, Iraqi depot, like the Iraqi Iraqi army, uh, we didn't have completely the superior of technology, for example, the night vision, because we have night, night vision, some PVS-14, some pvs uh, 31, some, you know, DT and VS, and they have the same because uh, we get from Iraqi army, they get from Iraqi army. And sometimes we fight and we find out some M16 with, uh, you know, do you remember the links? It was a big second generation optics. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, that was even another game changing, changing in that war. Uh, you know, they have night vision, we have night vision, and sometimes their strategy was same our strategy. They cut off the electricity, for example, of a block, and with night vision, they 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 shoot, they kill, they they do all the stuff. You know, so even uh, we in that time we started to reduce the ear tracking, so we stopped to use uh, ear illuminator. We stopped to use uh, IR strobe because they were capable to see our infra infrared light, and this is another something. Then uh, it's changing from uh, the previous war, where let's say the good guy have the the superior of technology. For example, the night vision. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, um, and. Uh... So it's, it's interesting. So I'm a photographer. Um, 
So I've traveled a lot to different places and I've had different drones and I used to have a Phantom 4. And um, Mm. it's funny because it's a a very loud drone compared to some of the other ones. Um, So I I would imagine it's something you can hear coming from, you know, kind of far. But um, I I watched a documentary about the, the Mosul fight uh, made by <clears throat> made by a former uh, CIA officer, and um, ah, there is also a documentary from uh, History Channel mm-hmm. uh, where uh, a guy from the troop followed us for the entire offensive. So I will send you the link so you can even check if you like. Okay, nice. Know. You already see, I think. No. Um. I've seen a couple. Actually, you, you did send me some links on uh, on social media uh, that I did watch. Um, what do you remember the name of it of the the history documentary one? Yeah, it's uh, the name is Hunting Isis. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, yep, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so um, yeah, so I just I remember them specifically showing the Phantom Four. Um, yeah. And and that uh, that documentary I watched. Um, okay, so so uh, you said that you got shot uh, fighting ISIS. Was that in the during the Mosul offensive? Uh, look, uh, during two times during the Mosul offensive and during the Kirkuk offensive. Okay. Um, are you willing to speak about what happened, uh, you know, that day or that situation? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we continue, I'd like to talk to you about this week's sponsor, Four Patriots. Drought, inflation, and even new policies are pushing America's food supply near its breaking point. That's why survival food is more important than ever. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriot survival food kits. It's not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years survival food. Handpicked right in a family-owned facility in the USA and giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits are compact, sturdy, water-resistant, and stack easily. They have different delicious breakfast, lunch, and dinners. You can make these meals in less than 20 minutes. Just add boiling water, simmer, and serve. And right now you can go to fourpatriots.com and use the code RECON to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to fourpatriots.com and use the code RECON to get 10% off. That's fourpatriots.com. Use the code RECON. Start building your own stockpile today. I mean, the, this uh, cameraman, he's called uh, Sebastiano. He's a good friend of mine. And actually, it was with us during the entire entire offensive. And he filmed us. We, he stayed with us. Uh, he risked also with us. <laughs> But he, really good guy, really good, really good guy. Okay, uh, are you able to talk about what happened? Uh, when? Uh, when you got shot. Ah, sorry, I don't know, wait, wait, I misunderstood. I understanding that uh, you ask, you asking me 
uh, what happened during the documentary. Sorry, sorry. No, he didn't film when actually it was shot, right? And uh, this is happened inside a school, and it was actually a ricochet. You, okay. uh, you know a ricochet? Yes, right? yes. So, uh, look, that's that's something that, uh, honestly, is... Um, I'm really lucky, my friend. I'm really fucking lucky. Because, uh, you know, in that uh, that day, actually, was uh, like a terrorist attack inside the city of Kirkuk, right? And, uh, you know, uh, we was busy in the Mosul Offensive, right and this is looks like a counterattack so because my unit is from kirkuk we was in mosul and when we had noticed about this attack the command called us back from mosul to kirkuk right and uh, in that day isis they let's say they take advantage of all the unit in that time that was focused on mosul and uh, few units stay in Kirkuk. So that's why. And uh, and they prepare for for weeks, for weeks. They store ammunition, food, water, medicine inside some building. And uh, again, the um, 22 of October 2016, they launch in the same time attack against around the 22 building inside the city of Kirkuk. Right. So the first building was uh, an electricity an electricity plant. Right. Plus we have some hotels. Uh, we have some, uh, you know, some government building. And especially we had one school. And uh, my unit actually was sent directly to this school, you know. And the point is... Uh, you know, four guys well entrenched inside this building. It was even difficult even to to move close to the building without a, a proper support fire. Remember that we was a police unit, like a SWAT unit. We didn't have a, a machine gun. We didn't have a, a military equipment. We had like a, you know, SWAT unit equipment, right? We have a few shields metal shield and in the end of the day we engage a, a, a CQB fight really close CQB fight with uh, these four terrorists uh, inside the school and uh, during a let's say uh, move cover to cover I mean from one angle to another angle few bullets reach my position and impact close to the wall so and in, the, and in that time, I, I've been hitted on uh, the left uh, legs from a couple of these bullets. And, uh, you know, in that time, honestly, I didn't realize what happened. I mean, I feel the shock, the, um, some kind of, uh, you, you know, lo- looks like a taser. You know, the taser, I think, is uh, electricity inside the leg. I didn't bleed too much. I, I, I didn't bleed too much. And uh, I was so much focused, so much adrenaline. And I realized this later when I see some blood on my pants. You know, in the beginning, I was pissed. 
You know why I was pissed? Because a uh, few days before, before the offensive, I bought some of new cry precision. And I was really pissed. I, said, but, but I, I just broke my, my $300 pen from cry precision. And I didn't realize uh, I, I, I had an injuries. Look, it was not a serious injuries, but the first point was, fuck, how I broken my new pants? Really? Look, uh, John, you need to consider this. We be there every day for years. Years. And uh, I don't say that we have clashes every day, but you know, when you are every day in some kind of ambient, your perception of the danger change. Right. And this is something that is not good. So that, that that's why uh, I don't uh, I don't believe to the long deployment, because more long is the deployment, more we risk to enter in that uh, you know wrong danger perception. You know. Right. Because we as a human we adapt. I mean, if you are every day in a place where you shoot someone and they shoot you back. For sure, you adapt yourself. The perception is changing. You lose the fear. I remember about the fear. For sure, we had fear. Serious fear in the beginning. Look, I'm not here to say, uh, look, I'm uh, I'm a warrior. I'm not fear. No, no, man. We have a lot of fear. I know deeply the fear. You know, the fear that say, okay, what I'm doing now, the fear that, when you lose someone close to you, the fear where you don't see a possibility to survive. But one day, two day, three day, three, four day, in the end we adapt because we are humans. And we are the most adaptable species on the earth. But if when we cross that line, this play can be really dangerous. So that's why, uh, you know, we, we need to don't cross that line, I think. So what's kind of interesting um, about, uh, you know, how ISIS uh, gained territory in Iraq was, um, you know, they, they took Mosul, um, but they skipped Kurdistan. Is that what happened? Or did they try and take Kurdistan? Like, how did that work? Do you know? Look, I uh, first when today, look, I have my opinion. I'm not uh, I'm not an analyst. I'm not uh, I'm nobody. OK, I see the reality from uh, the wrong side of the heaven. Look, and uh, what I can say that first ISIS is not a terrorist organization, but ISIS is, a, let's say, a, is an ideology, you know? It's not about organization, it's also an organization. The ISIS groups, they are a terrorist organization, but ISIS is an ideology, is a dream. And uh, the ideology have no barrier, have no border. So you find uh, ISIS in the Philippines, you find ISIS in Africa, you find ISIS in Middle East, you find ISIS in Europe, you know? 
So that's the point because is an ideology. So and everyone can tomorrow wake up and become part of that ideology. It's different to become part of the organization, but you can be a sympathizer. And you know, and ISIS in the beginning there was a master of recruiting people and to use them strategically. And most of, most of the people, uh, you know, I meet some guys over there that they were ISIS. They even, they don't know how to speak Arabic because they are not Arabs. They are not uh, Kurdish. They are not uh, Turkish. They are not uh, Syrians. Those people, they, they, they were European. They grow up in, they're born in Europe. They grow up in Europe and they left Europe for joining this ideology, this dream. That was one of the biggest uh, uh, power of ISIS, number one. Number two, they didn't conquer just only with the military. You know, when they, let's say, conquered territory, yeah, they, they were uh, brutal. Yeah, they show brutality, they show no mercy, they show uh, terrible stuff to the local people. They kill, they massacre, yeah. But they give the system, you know? They they bring logistic support, you know? They bring electricity, they bring water to the villages. So that's why they build so fast uh, their connection around the area. And that's why they find a lot of support, even uh, if someone not sympathize them and uh, because they were even master and now point three, make money. ISIS, they were a proper multinational company in the way how they manage their business. You know, they make business of, of, of everything. They, they smuggling oil, they, they smuggling uh, people. Okay, they they sell women to the market. They they make profit of everything. They make profit from uh, kidnapping people, and uh, you know, without the support of the local people, without the ideology, and without the money, you cannot do anything. And plus number four, they use the propaganda in the most effective way with a proper propaganda expert and with the proper brainwash to the people. That's why I think, and again, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm, I, there is a, a lot of, uh, you know, studies, a geopolitical study, but as I see with my own eyes, this four point was the main power of ISIS. They give stability. It's crazy to think but I spoke with some people, they feel more safe with ISIS than with the Iraqi army or with the Peshmerga sometimes. You know, because they bring stability. Nobody uh, brings stability uh, more than a, a dictatorship. You know, it's easy to, <laughs> a, 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 you know, to manage the stuff when uh, you, you cut the hand uh, to the teeth. For sure, no nobody will uh, stole nothing more, right? But uh, in the end of the day, they bring also stability. 
Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent point that you bring up. Um, and uh, and I think uh, I think that's something that is a uh, people don't understand as far as like how intelligent they were in uh, in making money and and funding their war efforts. And um, what I think generally people think about ISIS and they think of just like you know barbaric savages kind of thing, but the leadership of ISIS they were very intelligent people. Um, That's- Definitely. Yeah. You know, the, the the majority of the people, uh, you know, especially here when they tell me, ah, uh, you went to, to, to fight uh, with, the, with the Mau Mau, no? The Mau Mau is, uh, you know, a nickname for, you know, someone with the flip-flops, with the pajamas and with the K. But they were not like that. They have, they train. They train, they have, uh, I mean, we have evidence, man, we have evidence. I've been there, we have videos, we have a picture uh, about, they, they, they were really active on, uh, on the, um, you, you know, the dark net, the dark web. They have a unit specialized in electronic warfare. They shot down drones. And they have, again, night vision. They have uh, uh, even intelligence unit. You know, uh, they they plan with uh, with offline map, with uh, ATAC. I mean, they don't have ATAC, you know, but they use uh, some kind of similar application. So we need to understand that many of their officers, the former army, maybe some Chechenian, maybe some Russian, maybe some even Westerners army. That's the point. We, we think in that time we deal with the, with the Mao Mao, you, uh, you know, but it was not like that. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, and, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I, I think, uh, people need to better understand, uh, exactly what ISIS was and and you know as I understand you know what was happening talking to people who were there reading about ISIS and 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 learning a bit about their ideology the part that never made sense to me was how they were able to lure in Westerners like Europeans um, mainly uh, to go fight for them and it it just it's, it's just crazy to see it you know very simple, and I will explain for you. Look, it's uh, really simple, really simple if you understand. Look, think about, look, uh, if you want to fight someone, right, I think you need to start to learn how he think. I mean, if you want to be a good cop, you need to learn about how criminals hacked. If you are in counter drug unit, you need to know how the, you know, the drug uh, working, right? And here is the same. If you want to be good to fight them, you need to understand, not only fight, but understand. Because if you understand, you have a line to follow. Okay, now think about you are, a, for example, a, 
you know, young guy, right? Your parents emigrate from, uh, I don't know, from some of Muslim country. And you are growing up in the modern Europe, for example, the modern and really civilized, uh, I don't know, Sweden, right? Uh, good. You reach, for example, the school, you go to primary school, secondary school. But in the end of the day, you are not Swedish and you are not from, I don't know, from Morocco because you born there, but culturally you come from another world. So the people from uh, you are coming from, they reject you. The people from uh, the place you are now, they also reject you. And this is if you are young, can become anger and hate, right? And uh, maybe that's the point of breach of the ISIS ideology. The hate, the hate and the hope. So they give you the, the world give you the hate and they give you the hope that there is maybe a dream that it's called ISIS, mean Islamic State. That's it's my point of view. That's it's my idea. And uh, you should to explain me why a uh, guy like me, for example, I left my, yes, I have a background. I was in the military. So I believe uh, I have some kind of uh, ideology, the ideology to fight for my freedom, to, fi to fight for the freedom of my country. And that's it's my ideology. And because of this ideology, I left everything and I went to, and I jump inside the war, right? And for them to the other side, it was the same. Think about, we find out people that they even speak, the, the Kurdish, they call me because I speak English. Well, I try to speak English because those guys, they don't speak one word in Arabic. They just know how to pray Surah 1, 2, that's it. Because they, they are not Arabs, they are European. They, they grew up in Europe. They were radicalized in Europe, maybe in the mosque, maybe especially the young generation on internet. And uh, the, the ISIS did this process with a proper psychological approach, with a proper brainwash, with a proper, uh, let's say, brainwashing techniques. And this is the result. And you know, the really problem when uh, sometimes I speak with someone, they tell me, hey, listen, Alex, but uh, okay, what it's finished, you win. This war it's finished, but the problem is the war it's finished by the military side. Now we need to work to prevent that this is can happen again. And look, I'm not the right person to do that because I have no idea, right? But I can tell you that uh, ISIS is not end. It's ended military. Maybe they have no weapons. They have not uh, uh, firearms. But there is still the ideology. And the ideology can pop out outside in uh, Morocco, in uh, Egypt, in, uh, in wherever, in Philippines, you know, because the ideology is the problem and you know you cannot kill the the 
the ideology with the bullets. That's the point. That's why we need to be ready to face again this problem and again and again. Yeah, I mean, th- those are excellent points that you bring up. And, and you know, we're seeing that now. I mean, the Philippines have had a an issue with uh, terrorist groups for, for decades. Um, but in in, uh, in Western Africa now, we're starting to see, uh, in particular, ISIS groups pop up. So even in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, ISIS-K, yep. So because uh, those terrorist organizations, they embrace the mentality of ISIS. They they follow the dream, the dream of a proper Islamic state. Right. Where there is the Sharia, where there is, uh, you know. Right, and... um... And, you know, it, it's interesting to study the ideology of, like, an Al-Qaeda versus ISIS, where, like, Al-Qaeda's, um, they wanted to sort of unite the Muslim world, the Sunni and the Shias, uh, and, and that was their way of, or, or idea to create a caliphate, right? But the ISIS is is, is different. Uh, you know, you they people have to believe in their particular brand of Islam, uh, or, or they'll they'll kill anybody, you know, Muslims included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't care. Look, uh, Al Qaeda at some point uh, they take the distance from the methodology of ISIS. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about that Al Qaeda. We we are not talking about uh, the the second Boy Scout unit. Uh, they say, okay, guys, this is too much. No, we're talking about Al Qaeda that take distance. Because for them there was so much violent. Yeah, even for even for Al Qaeda, ISIS was too extreme. Yeah. What are you talking about? Listen, they put children in the in the cage and fire them, fire fired with, with a flame. What are we talking about? You know, and the big difference was internet. How they use how smart. They use internet. How 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 smart they they use the technology. So, what it's uh, scary, as I told you again, I I participated to really the last offensive, and uh, and I remember the women fight in the last the women of ISIS. And you know, and they they say we will be back because some of the of some of these women they were pregnant. And I remember they say in my belly there is the future of ISIS. So I don't think this will be something will fin- will end up soon. So that's why we need to, you know, keep training, keep organizing, keep studying, keep growing, and be ready for the next. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so so you you took place in the in the fight to retake Mosul, um, and, and you ended up staying over there until 2019. Um, how did things change towards the end of the time that you spent there? Well, uh, honestly, in the first part of the war, mainly it was like a really, you know, offensive. 
I mean, a lot of people going to attack a massive city or village. And uh, in the second part, in the, in the, in the second part, uh, we grow as a unit, right? And we, we've been deployed more in some, let's say, direct action instead of uh, massive offensive. I mean, we change as a unit, we change our performance, we change our capability. Uh, we've been used a lot in, inside the cities as a police unit. And uh, the conflict uh, change in the way that we, we, I mean, we, all the Peshmerga, we push ISIS outside of the bigger city. And uh, the second part of the war was just hunt, find them in the tunnel, find them in the, you, uh, you know, in small villages, find them inside the cities. Uh, the first part of the war was uh, they were inside the city there were a large number well equipment and the second part was more uh, hunting just hunting you know okay so more like sort of surgical strike type of yeah. thing yeah 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 okay so then by the time that you were you know on your way out in 2019 uh that's mainly what it was and uh, I have some friends in the uh, Iraqi special forces who are like occasionally I'll see them talking about how they, you know, they found some ISIS cells and, and you know, got into a fight and killed a bunch of them, um, uh, you know, to this day in, in various parts of Iraq. Um, so just to circle back quickly um, in the fight for Mosul, uh, there was an American presence. Uh, there was uh you know, other Western nations had units there. Uh, did you guys ever work with the Iraqi special forces or did you ever work with any Western special ops while you were there? Uh, I prefer to don't speak about that. Sure, Sorry. sure. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, all right, cool. So, um, okay, so then since, since you've left uh, in 2019... Uh, what have you mostly been up to? Like, I see your, your training and, and things like that. Is that yeah. mainly what you're doing? Look, I, look uh, um, in to, 2019, I uh, something sad happened to me. I mean, I my um, I lose uh, my mother. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So yeah, so that's. Uh, um, I mean, I left for you know for taking care of everything. You know all the funeral, all the stuff, uh, and when I came back home after five years to take care of all of this, I find out uh, that uh, the world didn't stop when I was there. Right. You know, and uh, I mean, I th I think veterans can understand the feeling when you come back. And you don't feel yourself at home. I know the veterans listen now. This postcard can understand the frustration to come back, deal with the, all the this problem. I mean, you know, the funeral, this and that, uh, and uh, you know, and all these difficulties and uh, 
to don't find nothing positive to be back, right? Because especially me, you know, uh, also was under investigation from, uh, you know, the authority because I was not there uh, as a part of, uh, let's say, government institution. Let's say that. But uh, I was there as a, you know, as a private. So I've been charged of the um, criminal as a mercenary. And uh, also I, <laughs> I, I, I fight even in the, um, let's say, in the court to prove that I was not there as a mercenary because in Italy it's illegal. So my coming back home was not definitely good. Okay. And, uh, you know, even was sound crazy, but uh, I came back and I should stay for a month to take care of all the problem I I left there, especially after the, the loss of my mother. Maybe you guys from US, it's difficult to understand this, but in Italy, even the debt is a problem to manage. Okay, I'm talking about uh, bureaucracy, pay, uh, spend a lot of money. And, and you know, in that time, my salary was uh, uh, the salary of a, a no, a, an officer in the Kurdish police. So we're talking about maybe, I don't know, $800, something like that, right? And uh, so when I came back, I didn't have really nothing, nothing. I remember I didn't have a, a, a Italian SIM card, I didn't have a laptop, I didn't, didn't have uh, electricity in my home, I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, gas, uh, nothing, car, nothing. So again, my coming back at home was not funny at all, okay? Especially when the police wait you to the airport, you know? And that's why I say, for me, the war didn't finish in 2019. No, it's changed. It's become another kind of war. It's become a war with uh, the authorities, a war with myself, a war with... Uh, you know, with something that I never faced before. You know, you can send me inside a building in, in the in the war zone and it's fine, but I didn't know, for example, in that time, how to fix all this problem, how to fix uh, uh, the court, how to fix uh, a bank, how to fix this, how to fix funeral, how to fix all, all of this. And everything was just on me, right? Because I came back and I was alone. For the first time, I was alone. When I was there, I was not alone. I was surrounded by my guys, my soldier, my officer, my my friends. And in that time, I was alone facing something that I was not prepared prepared to to face. And look, it, it was difficult even find a job, you know. Uh, because uh, when you are charged of uh, that kind of criminal, you cannot find a job, right? You cannot find a job related to security. I mean, uh, uh, since I'm 19 years old, I'm doing this. What you should to do? Uh, mechanics? No, I'm trying to find something related to my experience. 
And in that time, it was even difficult to find something, to, to find a job. So I adapted my, myself. I, I accepted to do other jobs that, I mean, from, <laughs> from uh, be a team leader of special force unit in Iraq fighting ISIS uh, to uh, secure a supermarket. It's a bit frustrating, right? But I didn't give up. I I just changed my world, okay? And slowly, slowly, I start to rebuild my life. And maybe you ask me, Alex, why you don't come back? You didn't come back again. Because come back in Iraq from that time, it means escape, avoid all that problem. And, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm not running away from a problem. I'm facing the problem, you know. So I I decided to stay. I decided to stay. I decided to rebuild from, not from zero, from uh, minus 50, uh, my life. And, you know, slowly, 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 you know, I, I bought a car, I bought a laptop, I opened a website i learn i learn something that before i didn't know i learned how to live in this life in this society look i learn even how to dress <laughs> because before <laughs> the, <laughs> you know uh, what's crazy i i learn i i study how to own a company i started how to build a company how, I study marketing, I study social media, I study uh, how to do website, how to do uh, uh, pages on the social media. I learn, you know, and after when my, my problem was clear, I say, listen, maybe I can do something with my, my, my experience. Why I should to accept to watch, to be a security on the supermarket? I can be more than that. With all my respect to all the guys to do this job than I did before, but I can do more. I I can be more than that. So try to apply the same mentality than before now. Okay, before there is uh, ISIS, now there is uh, another enemy. Now there is uh, to fight frustration, now there is to fight uh, uh, angoshus, now there is to fight, uh, and you know, in that time, I didn't have any kind of even psychological support because I was not part of the army. And I cannot go to say, hey, listen, I, I have PTSD, I need help. Because the first thing they will do, they will take out any kind of gun permit. And I was working with the gun permit, you know? Yeah, that, no. that, that's an issue that some people face in America as well. Look, just... Just myself. That's it. Just myself. I start to become my 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 therapist. I start. I even start to study. Right now, I have. Uh, um, I study at psychology at the university. I subscribe myself to the university. You know. Uh, and after I start to build my company, I start to work on my company. I start to you know, start to work with uh, some agency, start to work with civilian, 
teaching people how to shoot, how to defend themselves. And now, after 2019, after five years, I'm sitting in the office of my range in the north of Italy. I have my own range and I built my own range. And you know, again, Italy is not easy to build nothing. Nothing is easy to build. There is a lot of problem with bureaucracy, with the politics, especially with the army. I mean, with the weapon, sorry. And you know, and uh, right now, I think I can say I'm maybe one of the biggest company in Italy for, maybe in Europe, for the firearms training. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been watching your stuff for a while um, online. Um, that's fantastic to hear. <clears throat> and I know, like, all of these issues, it's kind of crazy timing because then, you know, the pandemic hit, and Italy in particular got hit pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, in the end of the day, uh, when I, you know, when I face some problem, I, I say to myself, li listen, if we did that, I mean, we can do everything. And uh, I consider myself uh, really lucky because uh, a lot of my friends, they, 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 they didn't uh, find all this, uh, you know, energy, all this power, or, or maybe it's just a desperation, you know. When you have nothing, you are not scared to lose nothing sometimes. So that's why maybe, but again, I consider myself lucky because I I get the best from that experience, not the worst. And uh, I wrote a book also. Okay, and what's the name of the book? Uh, it's, I mean, Peshmerga, uh, Facing the Death. You can buy on Amazon in English. Awesome. Okay. That's pretty cool. Okay. So then if people listening want to like check out your website or, or, or people in Italy are interested in training with you, like where can they go to kind of figure some of that out? Yeah. Right now, look, right now we have uh, two companies. One, one is based in Italy and uh, the website is just in Italian. So se parlate italiano, www.apitac.it. And the other one is in uh, Switzerland. I, I, this year we open even in uh, Switzerland uh, www.apitac.ch Charlie, uh, Charlie Hotel and so this is our two main website for our company we have two range one in Italy and one in uh, in uh, Switzerland as well and uh, nothing it's, uh, <laughs> this is it this is the, how we we are now Oh, that, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, cause so, uh, Northern Italy, uh, is, is near, uh, you know, some of those areas. That's pretty awesome. Um, and, and yeah. I, I don't think people realize Switzerland has a big like gun culture. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's the point. Uh, look, uh, Switzerland have really big gun culture and you know, there is like, uh, I mean, it's normal. You can see to the range, young guys, young girls, instead to, do, to go to the cinema, 
okay, they go to the range and shoot. And that's it's uh, you know it's uh, it's nice to see even for my eyes. Okay, and if if people want to uh, to keep up with you on uh, social media, how can they do that? Uh, look, there is um, on uh, on Instagram. You can uh, find out like Alex Pineski or Apitax Strategies is the name of the company. And uh, on Facebook is the same, and on YouTube, it's my channel is Epitech or Alex Pineski. You will find out everything. <laughs>